Today on the telephone, I have with me yet another James. He's a senior designer on Conflict Denied Ops, and his name is James Nichols. Welcome, James. Hi there. Now, you are from Pivotal Games, so first of all, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role? Yeah, I'm a senior designer at Pivotal Games. Um, Denied Ops is my first conflict title with Pivotal, and... uh, I've been largely responsible for the kind of the co-op and the destruction systems in the game as well as the multiplayer. There have been quite a few previous titles in this series, so how does Conflict Denied Ops fit in? Um, well, compared to our other Conflict titles, we've uh, used the, the chance we've got with the new generation of hardware to try something a little bit different with the Conflict series. So we've got two new characters, and uh, whilst we've stuck with some of the... Uh, the basic principles of the conflict series. We've we've tried a more accessible, immediate game that, that hopefully will open the series up to a new audience. Where previously we've relied on four-man squad tactics. This time round, the game is a a two-man co-op game. So every aspect of the game is built around controlling two characters, and obviously then that lets you play um, with a friend, split screen, or online very very easily there's a quite well established sort of setup for two-player co-op it's a a little bit of a a departure for the series for us and we're hoping that it will just introduce the the series to uh to a new audience and allow us to just try something a little bit different for the series so we'll get cooperative two-player online that's right um on all of our platforms we've got uh, co-op online on playstation network on 360 and PC, which is you know quite an achievement. Some some games haven't been able to do that all the time, and uh, you can also use your same save game between all the different modes. So you know I could start a game in single player, playing as the two characters, save a game, play with a mate on split screen, and then go online and meet somebody else, and still use the same save game and the same progress, which is something that was quite a, quite a lot of work and quite a lot of testing effort, but it paid off in the end. It's, it's a really nice, flexible way to play. How important is cooperative play, do you think, in the future and now? I think um, even now it's, it's become a massive deal. I think it's almost kind of a bit of gaming that got forgotten for a little while. I think there was a lot of co-op games back in the day, and it's always been there, certainly since the very first conflict game here, we've always had four-player split-screen co-op. So for us, it's not really a new thing. It's something we've always done and always put a lot of faith in but i think as for the industry as a whole we've sort of rediscovered co-op gaming in in recent months recent years and it's it's very much the the flavor du jour unfortunately at the moment for us it means it's quite a, a competitive market but um we're very happy with the way the co-ops turned out in denied ops because obviously we considered co-op from the ground up in in everything we did so it's uh, it's not like we're kind of also adding co-op to a single player game you know even when you're playing in single player you're playing effectively cooperatively and switching between the two characters yeah but the important thing isn't it that we'll be able to play online cooperative and that's still quite in its infancy isn't it even for next gen yeah well you know it's it's not a trivial thing and for us obviously our physics and destruction systems are a very big deal and we also leave all that stuff in the level so it's quite a quite a major technical problem that we've had in terms of making sure all of that all of those systems work across the network and it, there were times where you know you look at it and you think this is an awful lot of effort, but I think it, I think it's worked out. I think it's certainly worth the effort because it, it, anyone who's interested in co-op, they're not restricted to a certain style of co-op play. You know, they, if they prefer to meet up with people who they've got on their friends list already, 
then that's a valid way they can play just as much as playing with a mate split screen on a sofa after a session at the pub or something like that. So it's certainly worth the effort on our part. And the free systems, PC, PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, their online components are quite different from each other. That must have been quite a headache as well. Um, they're not not significantly different. I mean, if you're talking platform-wise, then yes, certainly. Uh, we made use of GameSpy on the PC, but um, yeah, it's, it's even small things such as implementing leaderboards and that kind of thing. The, the systems work in a slightly different way, so you can't just kind of force one system on, on all platforms. We've tried to make sure that all three platforms are balanced as well, so there's an equivalent achievement system on the PS3 version, for example, that we've called Citations and... You know, we've made sure that all of the both co-op and competitive multiplayer modes are present on all, all platforms, and uh, I think that'll be a, a really nice nice thing for the for PlayStation 3 games in particular, because quite often they miss out on the uh, on the co-op side of things. So maybe now you could tell us a little about the storyline and the characters involved. Yeah, sure. Um, play two CIA Special Activities Divisions agents, uh, agents Lang and Graves. They're basically drafted in because uh, there's been a military coup in Venezuela and uh, the general that's taken control there, General Ramirez, has threatened any international involvement in this internal affair with the use of nuclear weapons, which catches everybody unawares. So the US can't risk being directly involved in a military intervention. So they send in their Special Activities Division, which is a a branch of the CIA which is basically completely deniable, hence the name of the game. It sort of offers complete deniability for the government because they're completely disassociated with the, the organisation. So they'll they'll feed the mission to that organisation and completely wash their hands of it. Now, for a gameplay point of view, that means you're not bound by the same rules of, of military engagement as you normally would be. So you can go in and rip up a level if you want to and you're not accountable for that at the end. Um, but it also means if you're killed in action there's no one coming to save you you're very much on your own and these two guys are a little team of two that have to operate completely independently apart from when they get a little bit of allied assistance so these two guys are going into venezuela and they're finding out where these threats of use of nuclear arms are coming from and then they can follow one of, of three lines of investigation after that first mission tracing the nuclear weapons around the, the global nuclear arms trade and illegal weapons trade, which takes them through Africa and Russia and Arctic Circle and all kinds of worldwide locations. So how do the levels progress? Is it one after the other, or can you take different routes? Will it have much of an effect? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I say, after the first mission, there's, there's three lines of investigation opened up, and the player's free to choose what order they do those in. So I could go to, say, the Russian investigation after the first one, and I could follow that line of investigation all the way through to its conclusion. Or I could flip straight over to the, to the African Township mission and follow, you know, a little boy into that set of the story. So you, you can pick and choose which way you go. And what's quite nice there is we've got an unlock system for weapons, which happens at the end of each mission. So if you find there's one mission that perhaps you find a bit difficult, you can stop go down another route, maybe get some better weaponry and then come back and try that mission again. Um, it's also quite nice that the unlock system opens up different weaponry for co-op, which means that you can you know, come back and visit a level and play it in a different style. We've called it flexible mission flow in our game. There's this, this system of being able to pick multiple routes through the story. and It does, does offer players some nice kind of easy choices to make in the story and how it pans out.
So does that mean we'll have different and alternate endings? No, the, the, basically lines of investigation then dovetail together at the end and then your final missions are back in Venezuela at the end where you're bringing down the uh, regime that you started off investigating with. So we bring it all together and, and that allows us then to obviously make sure the, the difficulty is well balanced for the final missions of the game because the, uh, when you're investigating these different lines of investigation, we've got like a dynamic difficulty system that adjusts pro rata to how many missions you've played, which is quite an interesting feature as well. So if you play a particular mission, say, fifth in the sequence as opposed to second, it will be much, much more difficult. So uh, our AI adjusts accordingly, uses more advanced tactics and so on. So, so another way we've kind of looked at increasing the replay value of our game, we go back and revisit missions and see how things might have turned out if you played a different way. So why the change to first-person view, which in previous titles was actually third? Yeah, um, previously we've had third-person, as, as you say, and uh, we've had these four-man squads as well. What we were trying to do with our, our next-gen version of the conflict game is to try and make things much more accessible so what we wanted to do is be able to put the, the pad in the hands of a, new, a fairly new player someone who perhaps is loosely familiar with first person shooters or shooters in general on a, on a console but not perhaps a sort of a military nut and then they're going to be able to pick up and, and enjoy and play the game uh, what we found increasingly was that conflict titles were getting very very complex and that people were struggling with the controls, and it would take a good hour or so before they would start to really get into the swing of things. So we wanted to try something a bit different with this title and have have a really accessible control system that people could pick up and play. And we felt that the first-person shooter side of things was also part and parcel of that. When when people sit down and play a first-person shooter, they kind of they know where they're at because it's such an established genre. And um, we found that it just made things that a little bit more accessible and simple for people. Obviously, then you, you kind of you see that in front of you, you've either got a sniper rifle or a heavy machine gun. You're going to know immediately what your role is and, and how you're meant to play. There's no kind of explanation or you don't need to go digging in to find out what character you're playing and set up your weapon systems or anything like that. You just pick it up and, and start having fun, which is really important for the co-op side of things where you might be playing, you might play the game a lot, but you might have a friend over who doesn't play so often. He wants to be able to pick up and still have as much fun as you can. So... We've really gone hell for leather for the uh, accessibility side of the game this time around. There is a new feature you are promoting called Puncture Technology. Now, this can't be anything to do with repairing your bike. So what does this do and how will it affect the game? Um, it's a new technology. So the first game it's, we've featured it in, it's something we've built in-house and we're quite proud of. Uh, we're hoping to build this one up a lot in the future. Um, at the moment, what it allows you to do in Denied Ops is basically shoot an arbitrary hole in any any thin surface basically so if you come across plaster or thin wood or glass or anything like that you can shoot um, a hole and that hole is worked out in real time so if i if i get my pistol out and shoot a couple of small bullet holes in a piece of wood i can then use that as a sniper hole to shoot through and get the jump on on an enemy or and the same system works online in competitive multiplayer as well so it's, it's, it's quite a cool system when you see it in conjunction with all the other sort of physics and destruction we've got in the game. You, you see bullet holes ripping, ripping up bits of wood and shredding the cover in front of you, and it adds a lot to the, the destruction and the kind of bombastic the, the game world that we've created. And many games, even in this next generation era, well, uh, once you've walked around a corner, and if you wander back again, the holes will have disappeared and the wood is as it was. So is it any different in this game? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
something that we've we've strived for again with the co-op side in in consideration is we've we've tried to open up the levels as much as as possible so both players can go anywhere they like at any time in the level that's that's quite a major thing so if i wander off the other player isn't going to get checkpointed and snapped to where i am he can still stay wherever he is and get himself set up in a location if he knows the level really well and the physics and destruction is part of that so if i if i blow up 40 50 um, objects in a room and kill a bunch of guys and the ragdolls are piled on top of those physics objects when i go and come back all of those objects will still be there we never flush anything out so you leave this kind of trail of destruction through the level and if you're in any doubt where you've been so far you'll be able to tell because there'll be a huge pile of bodies and or shattered physics objects where you've been already and will this still work online as well yeah these systems have been worked online and uh, obviously in split screen as well um Again, it's something that was a you know a lot of work, but we we felt it was worth it, and we've we spent several months polishing things and made sure all these systems work accordingly. So uh, you'll you'll see this in both competitive uh, competitive and cooperative online multiplayer. As the first next generation game of the series, how does this affect your ability to add extra dynamics that maybe weren't quite possible before? I think that the main thing that's obvious as soon as you pick up the pad with our game is the. Uh, the physics and destruction side of things. We've had a few objects, you know, sort of isolated sort of objects that we've picked out in the levels so you could destroy them before. So maybe you'd swap one for one sort of whole object for a damaged object or we'd have a few small physics objects scattered around. But with this this game it's literally, you know, every prop that you see that looks like it can be dislodged or destroyed, you can probably blow it up and huge chunks of buildings and we've got all our puncture tech for the small thin surfaces and so on. So um, it's really opened up a kind of very dynamic game world that you can really kind of cut into, and it really changes the kind of the feel of of the game. You've got these bits of cover that you'd otherwise use, which suddenly get shredded in front of you, and so on. And the other, the obvious stuff is the kind of the graphical fidelity and the larger levels than we've been able to do before. Obviously, we've got big outdoor sections as well as indoor sections, and we can mix those up quite freely. Even though you can go anywhere you like in the level. And, big sort of wider vistas for the vehicle sections and so on. So um, the, the next gen of, of hardware has kind of opened up lots of possibilities for us. I think early impressions of the game perhaps identified that where we've sort of put our our priorities in the physics systems and so on, other people maybe have gone for, for graphics and so on, which is, is fair enough. We feel it makes a, a big difference to the way you play the game and it really helps with the kind of action-focused nature of the game that we were aiming for. So what sort of locations can we expect in these much bigger maps? Um, well, we've we've really kind of gone to town with different environments this time round, something that we, we try to sort of push the boat out with as we were on next-gen platforms this time out. Um, as well as your, your starting point in Venezuela, you'll end up um, globe-trotting. Uh, we've got locations in Afghan townships, um, castles in Russia, uh, submarine bases in the Arctic Circle and even a level on a, a tanker out at sea in the Atlantic. So we've got a real variety of, of different locations in this game and they all have their, their bearing on the amount of, amount, amount of the scenery you can blow up and the tactics the enemies will use and so on. What weapons can we expect to be able to use within Conflict Denied Ops? Well, the, um, the two characters are basically given their their default weapon setup. So we, we've done this deliberately to kind of focus your weapon set down a particular route and define your kind of 
your role within the team so that you're always going to be playing one as a sniper and one as a heavy weapons guy. Now, the uh, the sniper graves will start off with a, a fairly regular sniper rifle and a silenced pistol, as well as his grenade complement. But he'll gradually upgrade that sniper rifle to include a shotgun attachment on the bottom of it, uh, a gun camera, which allows him to sort of lean around the corners and silences and, and this kind of equipment. The heavy weapons guy, you'll see him sporting a, a bigger magazine that can fire faster and he gets an underslung grenade launcher and a rocket launcher and, and all these kind of big destructive weapons. So the two characters basically further specialise down their route rather than kind of being able to mix up weapons and ending up being kind of much the same. So you'll still find that if you prefer to play as a sniper, you can you know get that sniper to be better and better as you play through the game and likewise with the heavy weapons guys. With most first-person shooters, the online multiplayer element can add a barrel load of extra enjoyment, extending the lifespan of the game. So what does Conflict Denied Ops have to offer in this department? We've gone for, again, same to the single player, really. We've gone to make sure that our multiplayer is very accessible and easy to pick up. We we didn't want to create a multiplayer mode that's going to take you hours and hours to get into and get anywhere, and you're going to end up getting kind of killed by a lot of hardcore players until you've really got up to grips with the, the system. So we've got both of our characters are used in, in the multiplayer as well. So you've got your very well-defined sniper and heavy weapons roles. We've got our your kind of standard team deathmatch and deathmatch game modes in there. And we've also got a, a conquest game mode where you're basically taking and holding five capture points within a level. So these the the kind of landmark locations within the single player game and reuse those for multiplayer purposes so you'll end up working well as a team it's up to 16 players online um and the two roles mean that you you quite quickly get to grips with the the types of tactics you should be using so you'll have snipers pinning people down and making sure that the people can't get to the flags and so on and when you're trying to attack those positions you'll probably choose to spawn in as the heavy weapons guy and load up on grenades and go go piling in so we've had a lot of fun with the multiplayer it's the first time we've done a multiplayer title at Pivotal and we feel it's, it's gone pretty well for our first outing um, and it certainly does add a, an awful lot you know on top of the co-op side of the game which already adds a lot of long- longevity to the game's life as it is and where can we find out more information uh, we've got a, a website that we've just finished so that'll be conflictdeniedops.com um, and through IDOS's website as well um, and through our, our Pivotal website as well. There's lots of links to conflict-related stuff. Well, thank you for your time, James. Always a pleasure to meet another James in the world. <laughs> no problem, James. Thanks very much. Cheers.